The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the third chapter. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the, pro the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. What a way to begin. This past year, I was in Nebraska for my internship year, and winter in Nebraska is quite different than it is here. For one, it's not green and it doesn't rain. Everything turns brown and it snows. And it was a long, hard winter last year. I think the thing that really caught me off guard was just how long winter could feel, um, especially coming from a place like California or Washington. And so, it was a curious thing that people around Omaha and Lincoln in the, in the city areas began to tell me that they were going out all the way to the middle of Nebraska to come and see this like great crane migration where half a million cranes would migrate up from the south and stop in the middle of Nebraska in the Platte River uh, and then continuing up. So a couple friends and I got in our car and drove all the way out to the middle of Nebraska, and it is brown and it is flat, and even the cornfields were just bare and sparse. And so we get to these cornfields and we're stopping and looking, and there's strange things, these cranes. They're gray and they have red masks, and they're storky looking things, and they cackled. And so it's a funny noise to be out in the middle of nowhere and hear this cackling sound. And one of the things we did was stop and pull over at the side of a river and walk down to the banks and sit and watch because these cranes would fly overhead. 
and they would come to land in the river. And this was their place of refuge from predators as they were stopping over. And I think that the thing that surprised me was as these birds were flying over, this was the first sign of spring, the first sign of a change in maybe five months that something new was happening. I think there is this sense of returning and witnessing the ancient patterns. I think there is an ancient pattern to this migration of thousands of birds in the wildness of their pilgrimage, there's a repetition that happens and it's imprinted in their brains. And I think we also, in this journey of Advent, preparing for the one who is coming, practice an ancient pattern. We get ready for Advent. We go to worship on Sunday mornings. Even the, the pieces of our worship, the confession and forgiveness, the meal, they bring us back to that pattern. And so, here in Advent, when we're stopping in the wilderness and on the banks of the Jordan River, retelling the wild story of John the Baptist, who is so awkward and loud, things are a little bit out of order for us. And I think the way we prepare to enter a mystery isn't linear. It doesn't quite fit in the sequence of events. And we're all in this mix of beginning and ending in our lives. It's not neatly tied up. Even as we prepare for Advent, as we move through the stories in Matthew that lead us towards the one who is coming, we have a story now that doesn't fit in the chronological order of events. So our lectionary text in Matthew features a grown-up John the Baptist asking people to repent and prepare for the one who is coming but he's actually already there. So our movement through Advent doesn't draw up a path for us in neat linear order, and it's disorienting, maybe purposefully so, to lead us in a different way of preparing. It's a different way of leading us to the one who is coming. And John the Baptist is out there <coughs> proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. We practice repentance each week in the space of confession and forgiveness. And sometimes it's spoken or, or whispered or just weighed on our hearts in a personal reflection. And it is a powerful thing to sit quietly and feel the state of your own heart in this world. I am reminded of the power of silence to sit with what we carry. It's a beautiful thing to carve out this space in our season that becomes really full to just sit. The lighting of Advent calendars marks the weeks in Advent for us, and it measures time. And the beauty of this time is to become aware of what we are truly feeling, especially as we're waiting for the one who is coming, the one whom God promises will make a new creation. But John the Baptist, in his camel hair outfit and strange dietary preferences, interrupts all this harmonious waiting, and he's an unpalatable prophet, and he does not mince words. He doesn't sugarcoat the message to repent, and he doesn't offer repentance to us in a nice, self-reflective passage. And I love the image of St. Mark the Evangelist and the way he describes the voice of John the Baptist in the wilderness 
as the roar of a lion. So it turns up in Matthew, John the Baptist's proclamation, and amplifies a different, almost dissonant sound. So it's sort of like being out on a hike in the middle of the woods when you're caught up in the beauty of nature and the gorgeous views and everything's peaceful, the birds are singing, and you round the corner up another switchback and you hear that low animal snarl that just sends the hairs up on the back of your neck and just freezes you in place. So John the Baptist in Matthew is in that wilderness place erupting the quiet with the roar of repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It is this repentance that disrupts the nice Advent season and provokes us to something else on this journey towards the mystery of God with us. It's a startling place to begin. And it doesn't help, too, that in Matthew, John the Baptist is loaded up with judgment language. It's scary stuff. And this isn't the first time we've heard judgment in this new church year, and it won't be the last. And I think this judgment language needs to be handled with some care. And for me, the scary part in the text isn't necessarily the creative name calling. It's really the call for repentance, the call for a change of heart, because it asks us to bring some unpalatable truths to light and to follow through with them. With all this fire imagery and as many metaphors in one breath as possible, John the Baptist's words in Matthew can become so heavy they become burdensome. And I think Matt Skinner offers us a way to handle John's judgment words with care. He says, we have to understand judgment begins as truth-telling. Judgment doesn't begin necessarily from God's perspective as a longing to punish or retribution. Judgment comes first and foremost out of God's desire to make sure the truth is known. And that truth is sometimes really bad news for you. And it's sometimes really good news for you. Sometimes it's look at all the people you have hurt. Sometimes it's I see all the people who have hurt you. And both of these things need to be healed. And both of those experiences are painful experiences. Not saying that all, that's all judgment is, but it starts with a God that says, I'm going to call out the lies. I'm going to open up all the unfairness so everyone can see it. And then we're going to talk about what a new society might look like as opposed to who deserves what. For us, in this time of preparation, to see and call out the unfairness, the lies, the barriers, the privileges based on race and gender and citizenship and ability, is just the beginning. Repentance offers us a way to name the hurts we have done to others, to name the hurts done to us. And it is a way of taking a long, loving look at this world for what it really is. Repentance uncovers the lies and the pain and the rock you to your core need for healing. And it's not a comfortable thing to do, and it takes courage. The long, hard, loving look of repentance takes courage because it means looking at ourselves 
and looking at others and looking at the ways this world works in terms of power and privilege and then to do something with what we see. This preparation on our Advent journey takes repentance one step further, shaking us out of comfortable places to look at ourselves, our thoughts, our actions, what we have done to other people, maybe knowingly and maybe not, by the factors of the privileges we carry, and to open our eyes to see what is really going on in this world, and then to move differently the world shapes us, and it shapes the way we move. So there are certain systems that are set up in this country and privilege over certain people and other people. And repentance here in this season of Advent can shake us in those larger contexts and structures to change what we see in the first place. Because seeing clearly changes us then. It changes our hearts. It changes the way God is able to come into this world, into the possibility of a new creation. God is saying, I am making a new way in the wilderness. And the voice crying out in the wilderness to make a path comes in that loud roar of John the Baptist. It is in that repentance we find courage to examine, to look closely, and to hold the painful things in our life up to the light. And it, is, it takes courage. This is the preparation of the one who is coming as we come closer to this mystery of God with us. To stand in courage, to see and to name this world for what it is, to see and name the brokenness, and to trust in the promises of God with us, of the one who is coming. This new creation Isaiah speaks of, where the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard will lie with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child leading them. That is the promise of this new creation. It's the promise to witness the ways God is doing a new thing in this world again and again and turning our hearts again to see these promises. Amen. <clears throat>